Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight this morning. You are our rock and you are our redeemer. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. So our scripture this morning that we just heard is from Jesus' first sermon that he ever gave. And as you can tell, things got off to a good start, right? Luke tells us that all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words coming from his mouth. But every good sermon has a dose of medicine. And when Jesus gets to his, he seems to have forgotten the spoonful of sugar. Maybe it's because it's his hometown, Nazareth. But he dispenses with the niceties and just says, basically, you may think that my ministry will mean good things for you. That my being one of you means that you can expect special treatment. But remember Elijah who overlooked all the widows of Israel to help the widow in Sidon. And remember Elisha, who overlooked all the lepers of Israel to heal Naaman, the Syrian. Now when he said this, the mood in the congregation quickly changed. People started looking around at each other. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? The warm, supportive atmosphere quickly turned to rage. And they took Jesus and they drove him out of the synagogue, intending to, quote, hurl him off the cliff. Now, the reaction of this congregation may, seem, may strike you as a little extreme. Let me rephrase. I hope that it strikes you as a little extreme. I mean, I've had people walk out on a sermon because of something I've said before, but I've never had them walk me out. But what we don't realize 2,000 years later is just how offensive these examples are. The widow at Sidon, she's from Phoenicia, a brutal and oppressive enemy from Israel's past. Naaman is a general in the army of Syria another hated enemy. Now, what might help is if I could give you a modern-day example that would express both how radically inclusive Jesus' message is and also show how offensive it sounded. Like if we were a, a Jewish congregation in Israel, I could offer an image of God coming to the aid of a Palestinian army general. We'd feel like that. If we were Protestants in Northern Ireland, I might offer a story of God helping a Catholic uh, widow. It would feel like that. I could maybe offer an image for us of God overlooking American Christians on the way to help a Muslim terrorist, a member of ISIS. That's how it would have sounded. That's how much it would have stung. If I really wanted to offend, I could Given our current political climate, I could dare to suggest that God loves members of the other political party as much as God loves yours. But today, I want to use an example that in some ways you may find even more offensive. 
I've been watching a documentary series on Netflix that I highly recommend called Our Planet. It's in the tradition of those classic nature shows complete with the incomparable David Attenborough narrating. What's different about this though is the technology. What they can capture on film now is just stunning. And as I watched this series and thought about our text, I wondered if maybe the group of people we don't really think deserve the same blessing we do, the group of people we really do think we're a little bit better than and would be offended by the idea that they might be as deserving of God's favor as we are, isn't a group of people at all. Two things this documentary makes clear. One, life on this planet is even more mind-blowingly diverse, more breathtakingly beautiful, and more intricately interconnected than I had even imagined. Did you know, for example, there are microscopic plants called phytoplankton, and they grow on the surface of the ocean in such large numbers that you can see that from space it looks like fields of green on the ocean surface. And these tiny little plants, they release half of the oxygen in the world. Every other breath we take is thanks to them. Did you know that there's a desert in Australia and it looks like a cracked wasteland year after year, but about every 10 years, the rains come and streams flood in full of fish and it creates a huge lake full of fish in this desert. And pelicans that live on the coast of Australia, hundreds of miles away, somehow know that this is the year. And they fly there and they eat those fish, and they hatch their young all before the lake dries up again. The second thing that's clear in watching this series is that we, humans, have so disrupted these interdependent networks of life that we really don't know what we've unleashed. We have destroyed so many forests, and contaminated so many lakes and oceans. We have hunted so many animals to so near extinction that it almost certainly means the end of life as we know it. And I choose those words intentionally. Life as we know it. Because if the worst predictions come true, it won't mean the end of life on this planet just life on this planet for us. Modern humans, people who more or less looked like and talked like we do, have been around for about 60,000 years. This planet is about 4.5 billion years old. So to put that in some perspective, if you thought of the Earth's existence as a 24-hour period, humans arrived at the party at 11.59 and 59 seconds. 
We've been here for one second. And yet in that time, we have so disrupted things that it does not seem certain at all that we will be here for two seconds. And that is a very hard thing to wrap our minds around. We have so ingrained the idea that we are special, that we are children of God after all. And that at some level this planet is here for us, that we have trouble comprehending comprehending a world that we're not in. Clover's husband, Dr. Tim Beale, has a book coming out at the end of May on exactly this. It's called When Time is Short, Finding Our Way in the Anthropocene. It is available for pre-order on Amazon right now. And I've had the chance to peek at chapter one where he says, I believe there is something very deeply religious that drives this inability to see and understand our present and future reality, human exceptionalism. At the core of this understanding is a belief in the unique godlikeness of humankind and our entitled dominion over the rest of the natural world that humans are essentially and fundamentally exceptional to and set apart from nature and its ways, including, above all, death and extinction. I think that's right. We just don't believe it can happen. It's incomprehensible to us. And that's what reminded me of Jesus' sermon. It was unfathomable to his congregation that God might not see them as special and unique and at the center of creation. Jesus suggesting that God was as concerned about the welfare of Phoenicians and Syrians, it seemed blasphemous to them. And I wonder if there's something of that same arrogance that same sense of entitlement in the way we see our place in creation. What if we have misjudged our importance, our necessity in the grand scheme of things? Can we at least pause to consider the possibility of something so Offensive. Jesus, of course, did not say what he did in order to offend. He said it in the hope of challenging a limited view of who was included within the circle of God's favor. He was inviting them to look at the world and their place in it from a new perspective. And that's the hope here. For me, it was seeing those gorgeous images of life on this planet that made clear the fact that as remarkable as we are, this world is pretty remarkable on its own. And it helped me to question the assumption we seem to have made that life and God won't go on without us. 
Maybe we're not so special after all. Or maybe we are special, but God can only do so much if the children of God refuse to grow up. What we've done and the likely consequences of it is all so breathtakingly sad. And it doesn't seem to honor the enormity of it to try to end this sermon on some kind of light-hearted or artificially hopeful note. There's no spoonful of sugar for something like this. Which doesn't mean I've given up hope that we can somehow find a way to turn things around. But I have given up the idea that our survival is somehow guaranteed or promised. And maybe that's a necessary step before we can have any chance of saving ourselves. And instead of being offended by the idea that we might not always be here, maybe our Christian faith asks us to be offended instead by the unexamined presumption that we will.